Town Bank Mortgage, NMLS number 512138, is an equal housing lender. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now, the man born with a 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. So we were like this close to not being able to do the second show in a row. Not because I didn't want to. Not because... I didn't have time to do the show. In fact, I could have done a show yesterday. There was just literally nothing to talk about. I mean, usually there's like something, there's some report, some data, some op-ed. I mean, anything related to housing or just the economy that we could have talked about. That is at least somewhat related. I mean, obviously you can talk about anything happening in the economy any day, but I'd like it to be, you know, relevant to the topic at hand, which is, you know, mortgage markets. Uh, real estate markets and, you know, what impacts those kind of main uh, data points for us. And there was nothing like Monday. I've, it's one of those days where just nothing, there was nothing, there was no nothing. (laughs) Now today, luckily we got some data from North Carolina department of commerce and good thing that I am now talking about what's happening in North Carolina in a particular Southeastern North Carolina, because otherwise, I mean, there was some stuff on Tuesday. We had a report from Zonda Economics, which I do like. I do like. I think Allie Wolf over there, who's chief economist, is uh, pretty great. She does a great job. And so, I mean, we could have talked about it. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, and, the, and I think it was Redfin has a new home index. I mean, the only problem is, is that like everyone is kind of showing the same thing. Like growth is slowing with regards to price increases. And, you know, we just don't need that many reports to tell us that. I mean, I, I like Case Shiller. That's the gold standard. And then, of course, CoreLogic. And here's something interesting. So, oh, by the way, welcome everyone to Markets and Mortgage. You know, I wonder if you even have to do that. It's such an, you, you had to do it on the radio. When you're on the radio, you have to identify what the program is, you know, really just what the program is and the station, because people might be tuning in on radios, you know, for us older folk who remember that radios didn't always have dials that clearly told you what station it was. You know, you had smaller, you had those kind of turn dials back in the day. So it was very, it was, it was like within a range. It was like you were, you know, like AM station, for example, you were between 970 and a thousand. And so you're like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what dial this is. And then someone would tell you what it was, or if you were on FM, it was, oh, you didn't, you didn't know. And so you had to identify yourself. So that way someone who just happened to tune in could then tune in again. They'd go, Oh, I know what the station name is. And see, in podcasting, it doesn't even come close to working like that because you literally go and find the podcast and then download it. And while you're pressing play, you can see the title. So I don't think you have to identify yourself anymore, but it's, it's old habits die hard. It feels weird, right? And I've noticed it's very difficult for most podcasters to do, especially people that might've been in radio, because you're like, it's like common courtesy. To just enter, like, hello, welcome everyone to this show. I am so and so. You just, you, you kind of feel weird. Like, if you just start talking and you don't introduce yourself and introduce the program, you feel kind of weird. So, I think it takes some talent 
to just, I think Joe Rogan does that, right? He's not like, hey, welcome everyone to the Joe Rogan podcast. He just starts talking to the guests. And that's a talent. So welcome everyone to the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am the aforementioned host to Tyler Crawley. And so, okay. So what I, what I was trying to say was, is that we just don't need to talk about every single national index that comes out showing us kind of the same thing. If there's ever an outlier, something that shows something bizarre, we'll talk about it. But other than that, you know, it's mostly core logic. Beginning of the month gives us kind of a preview. It's the first report of the month. And then we got the K Schiller index, which is really the gold standard that everyone kind of looks to. And so I just don't think we need that many more. Uh, and interestingly enough, this is what I was going to say before I got sidetracked by the identifiers on podcasts. When there was a, the report that used to come out around the exact same time as the CoreLogic report, it was from Black Knight. It was the Mortgage Monitor report. And then they got bought out by ICE, and the report was like Black Knight for a while, then it changed to ICE, and they haven't released one yet for January. So I'm not sure if they're going to continue it or not. Maybe I'm on the wrong page. Maybe they updated it. I just don't know. But I haven't seen anything. That was like a big report that also got attention. And so, I don't know, maybe it's going away. Maybe they're like, you know, we don't need to do this. A lot of, lot of data. I mean, they are a data-oriented company, so you think it was sort of like evidence of what they were able to do. But I don't know. I haven't seen anything from them. So let's just say we're going to stick to the core logic and then the case shiller are the reports. And like I said, if there's ever an outlier, something crazy happening in one, like Wilmington or somewhere in North Carolina gets a shout out, other than Charlotte or Raleigh. Those are always like on national reports. We'll talk about it. But other than that, because I just don't want to just, you know, find some report that isn't really that interesting just to talk about it. So Zonda had a report out. And then, like I said, Redfin had a report. But other than that, there just, there wasn't much. This, this is maybe one of the deadest weeks that I've ever I've ever seen since doing this podcast. I mean, even today, there's not a lot happening. We're getting mortgage demand. Now, we may be getting, I may have miscounted, because I thought today we were going to be getting uh, builder permit data from Wilmington, and we didn't. And so I maybe, I thought it was going to be on Tuesday. So maybe it'll be today. Maybe it'll be Wednesday that it'll come out. So we will see. Maybe we'll have that to talk about on Thursday's show. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to be mortgage data. But we did get a big report looking at North Carolina. North Carolina's sort of labor market situation. And it's good news. I mean, it's good news across the board. I mean, this just goes to show why North Carolina's killing it. Our economy's killing it. That's why we're always ranked like in the top three. I remember last year we were number one in the CNBC sort of best state to do business in. And the other ones were always like top three, top five. So we know that. And I mean, here's just the evidence. So the North Carolina unemployment rate held for the second straight month at 3.5%. That according to the latest data from the North Carolina Department of Commerce. Now, the state's seasonally adjusted annual or the state's... <laughs> I'm ready to throw annual in there. The state's seasonally adjusted December 2023 unemployment rate was 3.5%. That was the same that it was in November, but that is slightly higher than the bottom that we saw in the summer. I think June, July, and August, we were at 3.3%. Uh, the good news is the state's unemployment rate is down 0.3 percentage points from the same time last year. So we're moving in the right direction and just highlighting this, so even though we saw the 
unemployment rate hold, we did see job creation in the final month of 2023. 2,100 jobs were created for a total non-farm employment in North Carolina of 4.951 million, almost two. So it's really 400 Nine, 4,951,900. Uh, that's how many people are employed in the state of North Carolina. Uh, we can thank Leisure and Hospitality for that in the month of December, creating 2,100 new jobs, followed by Information. They created 1,000 jobs, financial activities. Or, I'm sorry. They're the ones who lost jobs. I got confused on my lines here. Education and health services created 1,500. Leisure and hospitality created 2,500. They were the, the top by far. Professional and business service, services were up 1,100. And government created 800 in December. Now, on the flip side that I jumped to very quickly, um, other services, whatever category that is, uh, they lost 2,100 jobs. Information lost 1,000. Financial activities lost 800. And construction, not so great news for housing, lost 600. But overall, it was a very good year for North Carolina, uh, creating almost 100,000 jobs, 99,400 to be exact. 82,000 were in the private sector and about 17,000 were in government. So pretty good year for North Carolina. 100,000 new jobs, still seeing job growth, uh, unemployment rate holding at a very low level. I think the I think the national unemployment rate is 3.7%. So not surprisingly, we are doing better than the national data. So that was some good info that we got on Tuesday. But here is some other good info, especially for me. I really enjoyed this. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that came out early in the day, 5.30 a.m. Tuesday morning. Uh, it said, property investors, for property investors, the price of homes is still not right. Now, if you've been online, and I've actually seen it make its way into polite company. <laughs> I've seen it actually make its way into the real world, uh, which is this belief that some of the big Wall Street companies like BlackRock, Blackstone, one of the other companies with black in its name, <laughs> that apparently they're going to buy up all the houses and we are going to become a nation of renters. That's what Wall Street wants to do. And there was this really funny stat that got a lot of attention and I was trying to figure out, actually, I think by accident, I figured out where it came from. So there was a stat that in the next like 20 years, Wall Street was going to own 40% of all the homes. And I said, man, that's crazy because I've been looking at these numbers for a while now. And I said, you know, institutional investors buy the least amount of homes of all the investors that exist out there. And not only do they buy the smallest amount of the investor amount, which is smaller than overall buyers. In fact, I don't think we've ever seen investors ever buy a majority of homes in any quarter that's ever existed. So how in the world are they ever, just institutional investors, ever going to get to 40%? It didn't even make sense. And like most rumors on the internet, when you actually look at the data, it never makes sense. But it relies on people not understanding the subject at hand. 
And so I knew the number was 40%. So I was Googling it and I found this paper. I think it was MetLife. It was someone. And they were arguing that by 2030, I don't know, like 2040 or something, that institutional investors could own 40% of single family rentals. So that was the article. And I said, oh, you know, I bet that's how that number got spread. So somebody saw that Wall Street, which is institutional investors, these are institutional investors are investors, I think, with over like a thousand homes um, that rent, which is the smallest amount, which is the smallest group of investors. Most people who own investment properties own like one or two homes. That's the overwhelming majority. It's like 60 to 70% of so-called um, investors. It's like someone who just owns a, an extra home <laughs> for the most part. And so institutional investors who own over a thousand are a very, very tiny category by a small amount of homes in the grand scheme of things. And so this paper came out and said that we could see a situation where they own 40% of the homes. And a lot of that was probably based on 2021, 2022 numbers because we saw a lot of buying from institutional investors. In fact, the Wall Street Journal article even pulls up those numbers pointing out that I think it was, I have the data here. Um, nationally, investors accounted for 11% of all home purchases in 2023. So that was, you know, that was, that number was down from what it had been. I think somewhere in here where they mentioned that I think one in 10 or one in five. I think there was one quarter. Here it is. By the first quarter of 2022, investors, including house flippers and iBuyers, accounted for one in every five home purchases nationally, according to Redfin. And that was one quarter. Things were getting crazy. So someone might have written a report and been like, oh my gosh, if this pace keeps. And the, the whole purpose of this article, not to get off on a tangent here, the whole purpose of this article is that institutional investors have like dropped off, you know, by a pretty substantial amount. Um, investor purchases of single family homes tumbled 30% last year. They went from acquiring uh, large and small businesses, acquired about 570,000 homes in 2023, down from 802,000. In 22, there was an analysis by Realtor.com about nine months into last year that said that we were on track to see the largest annual drop in investor buying activity in 20 years. And the reasoning makes a lot of sense. We have interest rates are very high. So borrowing money to make these purchases is now more expensive. And you're seeing limited inventory, which means home prices are staying high, as everyone's well aware. And then rent prices are starting to fall. So it's like the worst environment right now for institutional investors to be making these purchases. And so that's why analysts are now expecting 2024 to be pretty much about the same in 2023. So basically the fear that we would become a nation of renters has at least been put on pause <laughs> until we start to see uh, institutional investors purchase more homes. I mean, the fact that investors in total only made up 11% of home sales last year. Uh, institutional investors were probably like 1% of that. And that's pretty much the data. I mean, like right now, like institutional investors own, I think it's a one or 2% of the possible properties that are out there. And here's, this is, this is what's fascinating to me is that the report, which, which I, which I looked at said that 
if institutional investors were to own 40% of single family homes, that would be a total of 7.6 million. And the reason why that's kind of funny is that right now there are about 140 million housing units. And so it's funny because you see 40% of single family rentals. That's just single. Those are, those are homes that are rental properties. So it's not including apartments. It's not including condos, you know, multifamily basically. And so that turns out that number is 7.6 million. There's 140 million housing units in the U S and to think about how small (laughs) that, that number is. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, that's, an insanely small number. I mean, it's less than 1%. And so it's like, (laughs) um, like I said, the fear that everyone sort of gripped on and I get it. You know, it was a time home prices were skyrocketing. People were were feeling they were getting left behind. The American dream was out of reach and who are you going to blame? And of course there really isn't anyone to blame. I mean, there's a solution, which is you build more houses. That's what the thing I've always thought was so funny is that, you know, the solution to building more homes is awesome on so many levels. I mean, one, it creates jobs, building homes. Uh, two, you're building, um, you know, homes that fit the current need of buyers. So if you're building a house, instead of having to buy a home that was built 50 years ago and then retrofitting it and, you know, making it so it matches what you want in this, this current environment, you just build a new house. And it's just so hard to do, you know, right? Because these places, they make it so difficult. You have, uh, whether it's, historic societies or city councils or county commissions that are against building and create all these rules and regulations. And, you know, it just, it's, it, it's a nightmare. So people just go, okay, fine. I'll just buy an older home and, and try and find a way to make it work. So you can build a house that people actually, you know, can just boom, move into and then have to renovate it or anything. That's one of the benefits of course, of, of building new homes. Um, but also it's really like a giant middle finger to Wall Street. I mean, I've always said this. If you're someone who wants to, you know, occupy you occupy Wall Street, you want to stick it to Wall Street, build homes. So all these institutional investors, the worst thing that you can do is stop homes from being built because that means the inventory that Wall Street already has is going to get more valuable because it's supply and demand. The less supply, demand staying the same if not increasing, then you're going to have a situation where that becomes more valuable. If you build more, their portfolios become less valuable. And what are they likely to do? Sell. (laughs) And so I've always thought the solution was like so easy. It was you just build more homes. It, you know, it's not going to destroy the value. People are always worried about their homes losing value. We cannot build enough homes in certain areas to destroy the value (laughs) uh, that would create a problem. But what we can do is is keep the increases um, relatively normal, and so it's. I mean, to me, it's it's always made a lot of sense. And you want to defeat Wall Street, build more homes. <laughs> Not only will it maybe encourage them to sell the inventory they already have, it will definitely stop them from buying more in that particular area. So. It always seems so simple to me, but that's most things. It's like, no, that's an easy fix. Oh, you, oh, you want to make it more difficult? Okay, all right. <laughs> that's, it's like that. one of my favorite memes 
where it's like the guy and he's like, I'm mad. And then the person hands him a solution and the person lights it on fire and says, I don't want a solution. I want to be mad. <laughs> That's usually when it comes to why people are upset about affordable housing. It's like, well, why don't we just build more houses? And it's like, no, shut up. No, I'm going to get mad at Wall Street and then I'm going to get mad at developers. You know, the people that would build the new homes to, you know, affordable housing. I'm going to get mad at the politicians and I'm going to get mad. Well, you can get mad at the politicians. You know, if they're the ones that support stricter zoning, get mad at them. <laughs> that's, you can get mad. That's allowed. You're allowed to get mad at them. That actually doesn't make sense. Um, all right. So I made it work with little less than we might normally have for a show. Uh, tomorrow, I think all we have, is that all we have? Let me see. I think all we have is... Oh, we got a Bank of Canada interest rate decision. <laughs> I mean, that matters. There are neighbors to the north. They're America's hats. We got to support them. That cr- You want to look at crazy housing prices? Look at Canada. You ever see a chart of the growth in Canada's market? Holy crap. It makes us look like we're like flatlined. <laughs> like there's... Is you take incomes versus home prices, it's like, oh, whew, man. Um, so they got an interest rate decision at 10 a.m. and uh, mortgage demand and rates out at 7 a.m. But then Thursday and Friday, we got a ton, a ton that is happening. We got inflation data. We got GDP. We got jobless claims. We got new home sales. We got pending home sales. We got a lot. We got a lot. So. I apologize for the light week. I mean, I couldn't even do a podcast. I couldn't do a podcast. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at this. Now you know it's time to go. Um, I couldn't do a podcast, nor could I send out a newsletter. There just wasn't anything to put in it. Just a bunch of links to funny stuff I read on the internet. Just, just do a meme. Nothing but memes. But all right. This, this drought will be over soon enough. We'll definitely be able to talk at least about mortgage demands. We'll see if there's more. See if there's anything out there. But we will talk to you Thursday for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.